Time now for Midweek Media Watch with Colin Peacock. Hi, Colin. Hi, Karen. How are you doing? Yeah, not not too bad. Bit of a cold, but I think my voice will hold up till the end. I don't know if you're hearing morning morning report this morning, but I think they chewed through two newsreaders whose voices couldn't cut it, so there's something going on down here at RNZ in Wellington. We're all right up here, so that's good. You send help. <laughs> well, depending where up and down is, of course, where you are in the country. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Hey, fascinating listening to um, Murray Logerson there. He would have been interested in a BBC programme I was on in the weekend where the banning of vaping in India, where he was talking about working, uh, was the big business news story of the weekend. Yes, uh, really, they don't know, do they? The THC is something they thought may be the case, but they really haven't nailed it yet. No, and but the whole massive market that is India, uh, e-cigarettes and vaping, not huge there, not a huge part of the market, but they've come out uh, pretty unilaterally and said, nope, we're going to take this trade off the shelves. So, it's huge. Yeah. Absolutely huge. You want to talk about money that, uh, I was going to say, <laughs> money. Yeah, it is money because it's going to make a lot of money. Well, maybe, maybe not for New Zealand. Uh, yeah, this is Amazon Prime. This is last week, the announcement that the Lord of the Rings TV series uh, would be filmed in and around Auckland. Uh, pretty warmly greeted by the media because, you know, obviously lots of jobs, lots of money and investment. Um, but there's been some comment on this this past week which uh, which has interested me because most of the stories have noted that, of course, there's a big incentive for Amazon to make it here um, with the breaks that the government gives to attract these productions. Um, let's just have a listen now to uh, News Hub at 6. This is how they reported it uh, the day the announcement was made. If Amazon applies for a screen production grant, it could get 20 to 25% of its New Zealand spending back. That could be a subsidy of between $300 and $375 million, all for the world's richest person. Uh, yeah, look, I think all of us uh, at some level begrudge the subsidies that the film industry has uh, around the world. Hmm. Around the world, not just here. No, that was Trade Minister David Parker. And interesting comments by him because um, Newsub didn't mention it, but uh, it has been reported in the Herald and elsewhere that uh, David Parker and Prime Minister Ardern met with Peter Jackson, Sir Peter Jackson, about three weeks uh, before they then made the decision to not uh, cut, uh, not set an upper limit on uh, the taxpayer support, the level of that rebate that Newshub was talking about there. So those figures of... 300 and 375 million going back personally to Jeff Bezos. I mean, he doesn't, uh, he won't get all of that, of course, although he's the world's richest man, he doesn't pocket everything that comes Amazon's way. Uh, but that's guesswork depending on how much they'll spend. But interesting that, you know, they took the decision not to, um, not to cap the level of this rebate of 20 to 25%. So when, um, You follow, say, the work of Matt Nippett at the Herald, for example. He's crunched the numbers on how much New Zealand taxpayers have forked out. Uh, He says at least $600 this is back in January, to Hollywood producers since 2010 when they decided to offer these uh, these rebates and, and tax breaks to Hollywood producers. Uh, so it's it's big big money, and of course it's always reported as a kind of a slam dunk because we get the jobs, we wouldn't have the spending here to give the rebate back on the first place if they didn't come, and then there's the tourism and PR benefits that we get from being on the screen. Um, but, you know, the, the question of the, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the opportunity cost is hardly ever explored. And so I was interested on Monday on the panel here on RNZ National, um, the New Zealand Institute's chief economist, Eric Crampton, uh, he said this, the audio isn't great, his phone line's a bit scruffy, but this is what he said when he was um, referring to the work of a, an old grad school buddy of his about whether these subsidies are really effective. 
a guy that I went to grad school with, he's done some actual study on this. His name's John Charles Bradbury, and he's looked across the, the 50 U.S. states, which all have different regimes around film studies or film subsidies. So he's able to then look to see, well, what's the actual effect of uh, ramping up the film su- subsidies in Georgia, where he where he lives and works, compared to some other states? And he finds that you actually see a reduction in uh, per capita income after the film incentives come in. It's not that you don't get the activity in the film industry, which you certainly do. Uh, I'm a fan of some shows that uh, see the seal of the great state of Georgia on it. Mm. Not not encourage me to go there be, uh, to visit. Uh, Ar- Archer, if people watch that, that, that is part funded by Georgia. Right. But they're, they're poorer than they otherwise would have been because of the a- economic activity in other industries that then fails to happen because things have been distorted towards film. Mm, that's a good take on it. Yeah, it is. And then picking up on that theme, uh, the New Zealand Herald's business editor, Liam Dan, on Monday, he wrote, um, look, if, if the coalition government's comfortable with giving these lower corporate rates effectively to film producers, why not other corporate sectors? And he even suggested, by the same logic, uh, you could give the banks a break. Uh, he said, how about the financial sector? Thousands of highly lucrative local jobs have disappeared because big global firms have pulled back to Australia. Um, now, offering tax breaks to these hugely profitable investment banks might seem politically unpalatable, but then, remember, we're all happily giving one to the world's richest man. So, yeah, how unpopular do you think it would be if we offered uh, tax breaks to banks and bankers uh, to get these high-paid execs working over here and not, not in Australia? And, Colin, was there any transcript or reporting on what was said between uh, Jacinda Ardern, David Parker and Peter Jackson? I don't know. I, I, I imagine there would be no AAs uh, flying around about that. But if you look, uh, go back and have a look at the New Zealand Herald's reporting. In fact, there will be a link in uh, the media midweek page on the Media Watch section of the website which has uh, Matt Nippet's story uh, referencing that meeting that happened three weeks before that decision was taken so have a look at that but the thing that was fascinating about what Eric Crampton said when he said Georgia um, just by chance when I was googling around looking at coverage of the Amazon decision to film here in New Zealand um, it brought up this website called backstage.com which is for actors in the US uh, and it, it said, look, don't get too excited about opportunities to be extras or background actors in this New Zealand production. It's way too soon for that. But in the meantime, it says, have a look here at these other Amazon TV productions. So one of them, the top one on this list was in Georgia. And you're not going to get rich, even though Georgia also, like New Zealand, gives tax breaks to have these things filmed. So this is a project called uh, the Underground Railroad, directed by an Academy Award winner, Barry Jenkins, it says we are seeking a black male talent aged 9 to 11 to play a houseboy. And the shooting will take place in Savannah, Georgia, in late September. The talent will be paid $100 for eight hours' work. Oh. And The Underground Railroad is a novel uh, published in 2016, which is about um, the Underground Railroad. This is back in um, late 18th century. It operated a network of people... And, and actual railroad and roads and houses uh, enabling slaves to escape. So I think it's a rather bad look, isn't it, for a company owned by the world's richest man to get tax breaks from the state of Georgia and then pay $100 for eight hours' work for uh, black, black, young black actors. That's outrageous, but it isn't just confined to the US. I mean, extras get paid so little, don't they? Yeah, it's incredible. And if following the links at this um, uh, at this, this backstage.com, some of them are on the Midweek Media Watch page. Here, for example, the NBC primetime drama series Chicago Fire, which I think might have even screened here in New Zealand, is seeking 
real police officers, paramedics and firefighters, 18 or over, uh, for specific days filming in late September in Chicago. Pay starts at $104 for eight hours of work. Good um, grief. I know it's a, and that's real. So this is, this is a show that wants to authenticate, look authentic, being about firefighting in Chicago by having real cops, firefighters, and paramedics, and that's what you get paid. Because apparently, I looked this up, basically, if you're not unionized, um, the minimum wage in each state will apply, even in states such as Georgia, where, as we now know, the incentives for the producers are, are pretty generous. So um, maybe it'll be different here with the Hobbit law and so on. I don't know how that will affect these background actors or extras, as, as, as they're called. But, I mean, follow the links and have a look at some of these these filming opportunities and how little you get and how much you have to do and how specific their requirements are. Well, people must take them up on it. Yeah, I mean, how about this one uh, for a short film? Jose is a mental hospital patient who's just been kicked out following his final courtesy day. He's mentally unstable and has a wacky sense of humour. He canvasses the neighbourhood, stirring up trouble wherever he can and loves playing tricks on innocent people. And for this, you have to be uh, black, African, Latino or Hispanic and 25 to 40. And there's no money for this. You just get credit and uh, and meals. <laughs> It might be quite good, though. It might be, but I don't think you're going to get <laughs> rich doing it. Might be a big break. It. And Liam Dan's point, actually, in the Herald, was saying some of these jobs are not actually ones we need. Uh, and with, uh, with um, uh, I think, an 11-year low in unemployment in New Zealand, it's the higher-end stuff. So that's why he's saying, look, actually, you apply the logic, you might be better off trying to, uh, to get the Aussie banks to repatriate people here and give them a break to do it. Right, so how did Paddy Gower's weed doco go? Yeah, I don't want to say too much about it because we did talk two weeks ago uh, fairly extensively about part one, but the one thing I was left with, would it, would it hold its audience? And having spent uh, the thick end of 300 grand of public money on it, um, would that be a worthwhile investment, given that this is something we'll be voting on next year? Uh, so it did hold its audience. Um, the first part got... Uh, well, th- th- actually, this is an interesting thing. Um, it got a total audience, according to New Zealand On Air, of, uh, I think, 337,000 people, which is pretty impressive. And MediaWorks is crowing that this is the top uh, factual program of the year, and I'm pretty sure it would be with those figures. And part two, it didn't get quite as many viewers, but it, uh, it was almost uh, almost as high, and that's not bad. You would expect some sort of um, drop-off. So well done on that. But the weird thing is... They put out their press releases, and because MediaWorks is so focused on that demographic of 25 to 54-year-olds, they didn't even mention the fact they had a total audience of 337,000 for the first one. They just said, we got uh, 200,000 and 200 viewers between 25 and 54. Now, I think this is silly because this has been sold as a kind of public project with public investment about a, a referendum coming up next year. They should have been trumpeting that 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 huge figure. And, of course, you know, people who've been smoking dope, I mean, maybe they were doing it in the 60s as 20-year-olds, they're going to be, you know, pushing 70 now, well outside that, that group. So they should be proud of getting people outside their, their target demographic that ends well, at the, the age logic, of 54. The, the logic of missing out those 137,000 then, you could just say in total, you wouldn't well, have to break it down, would you? No, I, you wouldn't, but this is what they always do. So I guess it's their habit. They send out these weekly bulletins. It's basically business news. It's for people in the industry, ad buyers and so on, and journalists. Uh, so th- they are very much fixed on that um, that demographic because they know that their headline audiences are often much lower than those of TVNZ. But for this case, where they got uh, such a, a good audience across a wider age group, and it was publicly funded for everyone, not just their you know their business demographic. Um, 
they should have promoted that better. But the program itself got a bit of criticism. Um, Russell Brown, uh, who's a, a journalist and blogger and also you know an expert and and, um, and an advocate indeed of drug reform, he called it um, fun but flawed in his public address blog. And you can click on the link to that if, if you want on the Midweek Media Watch page and have a look. Um, he, he found that Patrick Gower's uh, team had picked a couple of people he didn't think were very good, um, good interviewees. Um, who were saying sort of controversial things. But the main problem was that he said Patrick Gower was giving this impression that if we people vote yes for change, that there isn't a plan. And he's actually saying, no, there are cabinet papers. He's linked to those. And research that indeed, you know, News Hub itself has reported, uh, possibly published after a lot of the production of the documentary was done. So he thinks it was a bit disappointing. And even Diana Wichtel in The Listener, for other reasons, in her review, suggested how about a kind of part three in 2020 when, you know, we really do need to be focused in on that, that referendum which will come at election time. And a freebie paid for by MediaWorks. Uh, yeah, well, there could be, could be, could be part of that. But you know, look, they promoted that series very heavily. I mean, Patrick Gow was everywhere. Women's magazines, the whole lot doing it. Um, Facebook Live chats with his own news boss, which was quite funny before each episode. They really went to town on it, and I think. Given that audience, they may well be pitching to New Zealand on air for more public money to make similar sort of, um, he called it, reality documentaries about um, topical subjects. And that that might become a bit of a template for um, the kind of factual programs we can expect because, you know, it is hard to get them on the screen these days. Well, if you've got the broadcaster ticking the box, a lot easier... Of course, of course. Right, we've got a couple of minutes. Um, any other stories you want to cover off? Well, I'll just do briefly. Um, there's one you can have a quick look at. While there's been lots of diplomatic action about Hong Kong and China in our news lately, not much about the fact that two states, um, the Solomon Islands and Kiribati, uh, both switched their allegiance from Taiwan to China, which is quite interesting. In a fascinating episode of The Little Red Podcast, which is produced by two uh, academics and former journalists in Australia, uh, where they actually went to Solomon Islands to check this out. It's fascinating stuff in their previous episodes about Hong Kong, well worth checking out. And then really briefly, um, again, you can click to see the story, but fast, fantastic headline in the Sunday Star Times about a, um, a PR man and the spokesperson for uh, Brian and Hannah Tamaki's political party, Javan Goulter, a the, who's a loves the high life. Um, Champagne superposer was the heading on Mountain Van Bainen's story. Now this says... An unpaid bill of four and a half thousand looks like it's sunk his PR company. And if the story's right, it says it looks like he hasn't paid the bill for a company that was doing his search engine optimization. So pretty key thing for a PR guy. You should pay your bills to the people who are polishing up your profile online. That is a real bad look for someone in public relations to have stories about that in the paper, I think. Very good. Thank you very much, Colin. And uh, all those stories on the uh, the Media Watch page. That's right. The links to them. And we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Yep. It's got the title, uh, Midweek Media Watch, Big Paybacks, Small Paydays. That's about the Amazon story. Yeah, back in a couple of weeks.